Yes, my name is Enolia, and I am an author. I am an international speaker. I do empowerment around the world. I worked in corporate as the first part of my career, and then I basically started my own business or businesses. Hello, and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewanfo, and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. And um, I'm a social entrepreneur. So part of my businesses include Expressions of Humanity Foundation, where I like to engage in helping people where I can around the world in projects and also in the international speaking realm where I work with um, empowerment of people and I love working with women, I love working with a mixed group and um, the other little facet of me that uh, is quite interesting and very different is that I love indigenous peoples in the respect that I learn and work with and study tribes and then learn to empower from within based on the tribal traditions and understandings. So that is a facet of me that's, that, that kind of separates me from the crowd. Mm, that's, that's lovely. I hear quite a lot of things that are very interesting that we probably will have time to, to dig over just now in the course of the conversation. All right, now mm -hmm. let's go back to the origin, where you're starting from. Uh, Take us to your childhood, because we love to talk about ourselves, where we are coming from. It's part of what we love so much in this podcast. Your young you, Iniola. So tell us about that. Well, I grew up in Bayside, New York, and um, that is New York City in Queens. And um, yeah, I remember that my parents always, always... It was a neighborhood. It was a very, very close-knit neighborhood, and they always knew everyone within the neighborhood. So for like a, I don't know, 10 by 10 block radius, there wasn't a place that I couldn't walk where someone didn't know me that was close to my family. So it was very close-knit uh, neighborhood that I grew up in. And um, the schools that I attended, um, private and public schools there, um, afforded me the opportunity to uh, grow and grow up and go to the University of Massachusetts there where I got my degree in mathematics and um, from there I would just get married and I had two beautiful boys uh, Joseph and Nico and um, maintained my and received my master's degree while I worked and um, yeah it was it was quite an upbringing and a very fortunate upbringing very grateful for my parents that's lovely. And I'm sure your parents are going to be very happy about that. All right. Now, um, you were born in New York, but currently you are in Angola. Let's yes. spend some time in New York where you were born. Uh, so as you were growing up in those years, uh, were there something that you sort of find particular about the city that you, that you find interesting in terms of the history? Because, you know, New York is very important for the African diaspora, for Africans that, that live in the United States, African-American in this case. So is there anything that you find that sort of triggered your curiosity as a child growing up in that city? 
I love New York City. I mean, when I grew up, my sister and I, I have one older sister and we're 15 years apart. So it was really like being the child in a house full of adults. But my sister, um, as an actress, really exposed me to the city and the heart of it. So the dance classes, um, seeing her as a professional singer, she went to Juilliard. I got to hang out with a lot of people who are aspiring actors and actresses and um, seeing them going through the iterations of trying to make it in New York City really got, I really had the chance to expose myself to New York City at, at its best. Um, I was a person who grew up with a lot of sports, so I played on the girls' basketball team. I was into handball. I ran track. I mean, I was one of those women who was really more or less an athlete. So, and it's so funny because I held arts as strong as I held athleticism. So I'm really one of those generalists. I'm one of those kids who, like... I could really enter into any group in any any realm of culture and just adapt, adapt and have fun and really glean strong, strong relationships in the midst of it. Mm, that's great. That's lovely. Your, your, your openness is sort of, you can see that it really saved you and that is why we are tapping into today. That is very important. Uh, <laughs> knowing that at the beginning. <laughs> All right. Now, yeah. what about the African culture and the African people uh, looking at the society as a tour in New York? Um, uh, did you have any curiosity about the, your origin? About Because in this podcast, we pay a lot of attention to the African diaspora and wherever we might find ourselves, as long as we are connected to Mother Africa, we spend a lot of time talking about ourselves, talking about where we are coming from. Where we are living and probably where we are going so it's very important for us so tell me uh, in your childhood growing up there how much do you were you influenced by uh, anything africa that's that's a great question because for me i was totally influenced i had a longing in my heart i wanted to understand what my traditions were i wanted to understand where my lineage was and i didn't see that and knowing how the United States was and how um, African-Americans were treated. Ours was our, our, our traditions, lineage, everything was ripped apart. And there was this longing in my heart so strong. I knew that I was African. I also knew that I had some Native American within me. And it was my lifelong dream to be able to embrace my African heritage. It was something that stirred in me so deeply that that's why you find me here now. That's so great. Now, um, you might be wondering why I'm digging this, digging this up. It is important because, all right, this podcast actually is coming from a research that I did in Verona uh, for a long time, spanning up to like about um, eight, six, seven. Of course, we are, I'm still doing it because I'm continuing to ask people, why did you come here all the way from Africa? You are living in this cold part of the world. What is your what is your vision? What is your experience? Because I feel it is important. Uh, so that is why, uh, because people are still coming, they need to learn from those who have been here before. What kind of experience have they made? What can they also learn from them? Now I have a, a son that is four years. I sort of, from time to time, try to uh, tell him, even though he's still very young, this is where we are coming from. Because yeah. it makes a lot of sense sense to us in, in this area. All right. Um, 
now in New York, can you tell me anything that you remember of your parents telling you about Africa? Because you were born in New York, you were not born in Africa. You were still small, now you have not gone to Africa. You still have the passion. In fact, you have the passion burning in you to get to Africa. But you don't even know what Africa looked like. Tell me, what, what were those familiar discussions that you were hearing? So it's interesting because we really didn't have those familial um, um, conversations. Really what it was, my parents had me very late in life. My mother had me at 48 years old. So she was born in 1921 and my father was born in 1919. Um, They're they no longer living now, but those conversations were really about their survival, their survival um, and their parents' survival in terms of dealing with racism in America, how they were viewed in America, how they had to get through struggles and challenges. My mother was the first of, um, African-Americans to ever graduate from Grady Hospital um, as a nursing class. So we were still doing firsts, okay? In the neighborhood that in which we lived in, in Bayside, uh, because they came to Bayside so early before the neighborhood was actually created, they had to have somebody front and actually purchase the house for them because they weren't letting African Americans in that neighborhood. So they were the first in the neighborhood. So what I learned from my parents is not to be afraid of being the first, not to be afraid to stand amongst and, and hold your authenticity and hold your ground. And, and if, if it dare means being the first, then be the first, but do it. So that strong lineage goes back. But, you know, it's an interesting story because I can tell you it definitely unravels and it unravels as I age. That's lovely. <laughs> okay, <laughs> now we are moving out now. Uh, but first, tell me, uh, what influenced your trajectory? Like, you know, when you are much smaller, you don't know how the world is going to play out now because... <laughs> Life is very interesting, though. It's very interesting because it's a path that you are going to have to find for yourself. There is no, there is no script for you, no? <laughs> I think that is very becoming even more interesting sometimes. So what influenced your whole path, what, your whole trajectory, what you wanted to become in life that, you, of course, you are now become? Yeah, it's interesting because I remember having deep, deep discussions with my mother and um, basically her telling me that I can be anything that I wanted to be, that there were no obstacles or anything that would ever, ever allow to get in, in the way. So in understanding that and understanding that there wasn't anything that could challenge me from stop being. My mother always explained to me, if it's in a book, you can read it. And if it's in a, uh, something that you read, you can execute it. You know, um, that nothing should ever, ever, ever allow me to hold back if that's the choice I make. So what is it in the world that I wanted to do and that I was smart enough and I was intelligent enough to do it? Thank you so much for that. I really enjoyed those parts. Okay, now, how did you get into business? Because you are an entrepreneur, so that is a bold spirit. So we know where that is coming from now. We know about your parents. We know uh, how they be building you up. So we are not surprised now, but still tell us, how did you get into your entrepreneurial journey? 
Well, it's interesting. That comes a lot, lot later in life. What I did is I did like everybody else. I studied, I went to college, I got my degree in mathematics. I uh, tested it out in terms of wanting to be a teacher for a little while, and that just didn't appeal to me. I looked so young, and a lot of the students would think that they were my age. So um, I loved working with my hands. That was that artistic side of me, but in the science realm. And so I found myself loving and working with computers. And I um, uh, worked for a company, um, 9X Business Centers, for a little while. And I would design computer networks for, for them. So that means I got to take computers apart, put them back together. I would be able to troubleshoot them. I would be able to understand why they didn't function in the network capacity. I love that. And then what happened was that a Fortune 500 company recruited me from that smaller company. And when that happened, my, my career ex exploded. So I started off as just a senior analyst in a network group. Um, working with inf information technology and from there I grew to design computer networks for that corporation and then eventually for all over the world on behalf of that corporation. So um, I really grew up in the corporate culture for the next 20 years and that's where I had my family, I was married, I was well well established but in and the during that whole complete part there was this still longing in my heart this longing in my heart to say i need to know me more i need to know my ancestry more i need to know where i come from more and that longing was so strong that it was in the latter half of my career that i decided to act on it so I got my master's while I was there. I was raising a family. I was doing all of these things and I studied and, you know, I graduated top 1% of my class with my master's degree. But there was this longing I couldn't satisfy that said, I'm more than this. I'm more than what you see. And it was at that time that I really sat back and I said, okay, how can I find out about my lineage? I want to learn about my African heritage. And when I looked around the city, there wasn't anyone or anything that I could engage that really would allow me to submerge. So what I did is I started off on the Native American side of my lineage, and that began the complete journey. Well, I'm not going to let you stop there because that is too interesting now. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, take us that rabbit hole. It's very interesting. So you started from the Native American lineage of your Native American lineage. Tell us about that. What did you do and what did you find? So what ended up happening is that um, my family for a Mother's Day present gave me um, a, a, a journey or a retreat called uh, 13 Indigenous and uh, 13 Indigenous Grandmothers Conference. And it, this was a conference, and it was basically, basically about 13 Indigenous women from around the world who saw a prophecy that basically wanted to embark on that prophecy and share it with the public. So I attended their conference. And it's interesting because in attending their attending their conference, they attracted elders, medicine women, medicine men from all over the world. Now, I want to caveat medicine, meaning that they were elders. Um, you know, medicine men and medicine women means different things in different cultures. And this was a very positive, um, very enlightening uh, conference to have been able to go through. And that was where I met my first grandmother elder. Um, she was of the Ojibwe nation. Her name was Grandmother Isabel Mawasaki. 
of the Ojibwe Nation, Northern Canada. And when I engaged her, I didn't know what to ask her. I just said, I want to learn. I want to learn. Um, can I learn about herbalism and poultices or anything? I just, I, I made up something because I just wanted to learn from this woman. She was the woman I was going to learn from. That's what my heart said. So she gave me her contact information. And I was like, are you sure? Because I will visit you. And she was like, yes, you know, my girl, if you're really serious, come and visit me. And I did two months later. I drove 22 hours into northern Canada and I met this woman and spent the weekend with her and she was like, like you know we, we got along we had this heart-to-heart -heart connection it was beautiful and I was like I really want to learn from you I want to learn a different way a different manner and she basically said if you are serious come back in the spring and you know I hold retreats and I'll engage you and then by the way you know bring some other people well, the following summer, I brought 22 women to her retreat. I was so, 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 so serious about wanting to learn. And that is when it began. I didn't realize that that retreat, um, I got there two weeks ahead. I stayed there for the 10 days for the retreat. That retreat changed the whole course of my life. Mm. That's powerful. <laughs> That's really powerful. Okay, first, help me unpack, unpack it like this. Um, what is it that you see in that woman that ended up changing your life? What I saw was a different way. I grew up understanding that now I'm a, a African-American in New York City. New York City is about do it fast, do it quickly, assume the role that you want, act in that role, and then they'll take you on. Go after what you want, take what you want. It's a sense of full entitlement, taking, grabbing, and, and not thinking about who you may hurt along the way as you do it. And here I was embarking with an elder, and what I learned was that those ways did not work none whatsoever every time i executed one of those ways i would i would put my foot in my mouth i would hurt somebody and it was acknowledged and said ah, 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 ah. that's not our way that is not our way that is not the way to bring beauty into your life that is not the way to bring peace into your your inner spirit that is not the way to be able to open your heart, to invite everything that you want in your life, that is beauty. That is not the way. And I learned a new way. And hmm. I learned a new way. You learned a new way. A new way. Mm -hmm. And that is really very good. So I used to continue uh, with it, with the, um, with the process now, with the woman and the people and the journey uh, that you initiated on that part uh, right now, or is it um, something that you have, you have terminated? So that journey um, ended up affecting me and impacting me so much that one week, that, that actually that three weeks away, first I had been in nature the whole three weeks. I hadn't been in nature like that, just living, camping, you know, embracing, seeing sunsets, getting up at, at five in the morning before the sun rises, seeing, you know, sunrises, 
um, engaging in nature, learning to ask permission before we take, you know, understanding that everything is energy, understanding how that energy flows, becoming one with the land and understanding that the land isn't something we use, but the land is something that we embrace and that we live harmoniously in versus just, you know, something that I, I conquer. Um, all these pieces started coming together. All these pieces were, were seen for the first time, um, understanding the energy that we're energetic beings and that there's a different way of seeing ourselves and there's a different way of seeing our spirit. Um, and there's a way to call it in. You know, this was fascinating to me. This was like, what, I've never heard or seen or, or anything at all. There was this whole world that I was missing, that I felt at peace in, that I had just engaged in versus my whole life. And it blew me away. And this was like, this was something I needed to invite into my life. And that started it. That started me meeting other indigenous teachers and, and engaging and, and wanting to learn and wanting to sit down and listen instead of just speeding through my life the whole time and wanting to understand what it was that somebody else's life had brought to bear in terms of knowledge, not even knowledge, wisdom of how to be instead of just running through my life and, and, and figuring out what I could take from it and what I could grab from it and, and, and what I could earn from it that there was more to life and there was more to way, more than one way of looking at life. And it started on these journeys of these elders. And then the piece de resistance is that I was, I remember being um, in Chile and I was working with the Mapuche women, the Mapuche women of Chile. And I was in a retreat with an uh, elder and a medicine woman named Marcela Lobos. And she introduced me to another, her elder, which was Elder Luz Clara. And Luz Clara basically said, you have a strong medicine about you, but there's something missing. There's something missing about you that you need to take care of. You need to go home. And I'm like, oh, what? Go home to New York? No, 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 honey. You need to go home to your people. You know, you need to go home to the motherland. And I'm like, okay, well, how will I do that? I'm a New York City girl. I've been, I've traveled different places, but at that time, we held the stereotypes. Oh, you can't go to Africa. You know, you don't realize that the U.S. sees Africa in, in the ways of the media depicts them. So I saw starvating, starving children. I saw, you know, um, um, people fighting. You know, at the time, I think Dakar was fighting. Uh, all kinds of different, you know, things that were very negative. And she was like, you need to go home. And so she said, you have been living your life among people, but you haven't been home to your own. And so this really sat with me. And in this retreat, I went on a little vision quest where we basically went up into the mountains and we sat and we talked to the divine in the mountains and we shared our deepest things. And one of my deepest things was, if you want me to go home, if you really want me to go to Africa, please provide a way, show me how to go. I will go, I will do it if you show me. And I remember being called in from the drum of Marcella, basically saying it was time for all of the women who were on this particular retreat to come from where you were praying with ever on the, we were in the top of the Andes, the Andy mountains. 
And I came in rather quickly. I came in first before some of the other women came in. And she was talking to another woman. And um, she was like, oh, my friend, my friend wants me to go to Africa, but I don't feel called to go to Africa. Do you want to go? And the, the friend of hers, her name was Lorraine at the time. She was like, I'm from a third world country. I don't feel the need to go. But I know Enolia wants to go. And this was five minutes after I said this prayer. Five minutes. And I was like, I'm supposed to go. So she's like, Enolia, do you want to go? I was like, yeah, I would love to go. She said, well, I'll tell my friend that you want to go and she, let's see if she's open for you taking my place. And little did I know that what her friend had proposed was a hundred mile walk across Kenya, the East and West Savo parks of Kenya. And it was a walking safari and you would be walking 10 miles a day for 10 days on the motherland in nature with everything. And so I went, but here's the kicker. Okay. I had no idea where I was from on the motherland. I had no idea, you know, my lineage, who are my people? So I took a DNA test. And when I got the results of that DNA test, it said that my mother was from Kenya and that my father was Nigerian and my mother's people were the Luya tribe of Kenya. And here I was about to walk a hundred miles across Kenya. And when I walked those hundred miles and when I really engaged in what the motherland had to teach me, when I came back to my corporate job, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do it. That was it. That was it. The mother had called me and I was answering. And it was quite shortly after that safari that I, I uh, um, parted my way from my corporate job. Actually it was one week. I made, I couldn't sit. I, I sat for one week and it was long enough to be able to give my resignation and I was, I was it. All right. Now we are, we are moving there now from uh, the corporate world to where you currently are now in Africa. Of course, you are not out of business. You are still in business. Of course, we are still going to be looking at some of the strategy of your business and even your coaching. Those that are listening to us, you should understand that Liola is also doing uh, business. She does coaching. Uh, so she's going to explain to her what type of coaching she does and how that one can be beneficial to you. But before we get there, just now, I'm trying to understand that moment that you are deciding to leave your job to this new way of being that you have found. Mm -hmm. what, um, what did you feel? I'm trying to understand the feeling. That is the important part for me. The feeling was is that the fear left. Okay, so remember that I did a walking safari. So that means that we had the Maasai guarding us. And uh, basically we walked the land among everything. And the fact that I could get 20 feet away from a pot of lion, that I'm walking with the elephants and I'm only 30 feet away, that I could see a panther take down a crocodile and watch it die at 10 feet away. I could walk by a, a pot of hippopotamuses, okay? And, and as they're playing, you know, quietly move by. I realized that the, the, the synergy 
the fact that we're all one and then all of the fears that we have in life, afraid to take the leap, feeling that it has to be here, you know, it has to be the job, it has to be this, has to be that, it has to look like this. It was the fact that I could change that. I could dare to step into something that I wanted to do that was my love versus I was expected to do because I was groomed and because I was changed. And that helped the fundamental transition of really coming from this structured corporate world to daring to have the strength and the courage to move on to establishing what it is I love. I love people. That's what I loved. And when I left, I called to 12 of my friends and I basically said, I really have this thing about empowerment. I want to share what I learned. I want to share what I learned from an indigenous perspective, from the way that we celebrate self. Because we have never gone through celebration of self. We don't have rites of passage. We don't have um, uh, uh, things that just stop and emphasize the fact that it's great to be a woman at this time. It's great to be a man at this time. And it's great to have gone through this ritual that emphasizes the fact that you are valuable. What you bring to the table is of value and is needed and is wanted. And so let's celebrate self and let's find your inner strength and your inner courage through those tests prior to celebrating yourself. And let's bring those forward so that you can see yourself how much value you are. And I wanted to embody this and share this. And I wanted to share this from a perspective, not from what is the standard. We already know what the sense of entitlement is. We have it all around us. It's called life. But what was lost and, and what, what was to me, a filler for me was learning these indigenous ways that brought a perspective, that brought a different viewpoint, that brought a different value and engagement. And it was just as rich, even more so than what I had learned standardly. How to look at yourself and look in the mirror and love what you see and understand that you fit in to the bigger picture in a way that is so beautiful that doesn't have to be controlling, that doesn't have to slaughter that, which is because we're at, we're on the top of the food chain, you know, that we can live in harmony with the same animals that we fear. This was invaluable information. All right. This was invaluable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now you were born in New York where according to your explanation is the land where you just grab and grab and grab of course that is the center of america consumerism that yes. that have infested the whole of the world and we know that okay now you managed to find yourself home after many generations home i mean home for the real sense of it in africa i understand that in africa there are still war that there are people dying sometimes of some disease that could be cured, really. But this is home, the home of all of us. Yes. So I'm really interested in knowing how you feel at home. No longer in New York now, you are in Africa. This is where you are talking to me from right now. That's right. How do right you now. feel? How do you feel at home? I feel fulfilled. 
I feel like I am home. I look around and I see the beauty of the people. I see the beauty in them that they don't even see in themselves sometimes. I, 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 there's, I, I see the beauty of the land. There's something about the land and that as I walk the land, I, I just know that I'm home. I just feel the balance of that land. I feel the calling from that land. I feel the calling from those waters and I'm at home. When I go to the beach, when I see the people engaging, I see a reflection of me and I'm at home. That's enough there uh, because this is powerful. You know, home is home. No matter where you go, in our place they say, you go east, you go west, home is home. Home. Sweet home. Yeah. All right. Now, you are not just home, but you're also doing something at home. You are in business. You are an entrepreneur. Yes. I want to believe that you are still in business. So tell me, what do you do in business now in Africa? Right now, I, I wear a few different hats. And so um, what I do is I do empowerment. I do empowerment workshops. I do them all over the world, actually. And I have recently just finished a couple of um, runs in Patriota here in Angola. And what I do is I inspire from within. And I've been working with um, uh, female entrepreneurs and inspiring them for the work that they can do and bring to bear, helping them move through the challenges of what blocks them from really just acquiring their vision. I've learned how to work with people to build them from the ground up. Some people are already successful, but they still have that missing piece within their heart that just makes them full, makes them the best version of themselves. And I just help guide that person to address those fears or those, those, those traumas that have hurt them in the past that have been really blocking them to really feel that completeness as to what they're doing. So that is one of the main things that I do here. And I've been doing that all over Angola. So I've done it from, from Luanda all the way south as far south as Lubongo and, and Bengala and um, east and into Melange. So those are the aspects of working in terms of empowerment. And um, I also am the CEO of Expressions, um, Expressions of Humanity Foundation because as I've traversed the world and as I've been through the uh, travels, um, there are projects and people you want to be able to help. And I'm able to help through that foundation. So it's been really, really wonderful. And a couple of projects that I'm working on right now um, basically uh, affords us the opportunity to, to help um, disadvantaged communities in terms of some of their needs here and other places. So um, in terms of waterways, in terms of water retainage systems and, and things of that nature. So working on various projects like that also. So I, I have quite a few different things. Um, another one is bringing educational software that really allows people to study um, um, at home or in school. They can be present or not present. And, trying to uh, penetrate the Ministry of Education 
in order to uh, uh, take a look at some of this innovative technology that can help them so that we're not so far behind. But then, you know, you face other problems like infrastructure and so on and so forth. So, you know, you take it a little bit at a time and you, and you do the best in, in presenting what you can, when you can and where you can. Have you also visited the other part because you say your 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 mother was from Kenya in your research and your father was in Nigeria, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Have you also visited Nigeria? No, I have not. I would love to visit Nigeria. I have not had the good fortune of visiting Nigeria. I'm making my rounds around Africa. Um, I've had the opportunity to spend some time in Namibia. In South Africa, I'm here in Angola. I've spent some time in Morocco, um, Egypt, um, Senegal, Cape Verde. So it's it's I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is that is beautiful. All right, now, what opportunity do you see around when you look around? Because now you are there. Nobody need to tell you. You can see. You can feel it yourself. No. So tell mm -hmm. me about the opportunity around. Because right now. Today, 2022, we are rallying around to talk to all our brothers and sisters, wherever you might be, that Africa is a home. Let's look for a way to invest in it. We are the one that will change it. So tell me about the hope you find. So it's interesting because every country has its pluses and minuses, okay? So one of the things that uh, you can definitely know about the United States and Europe um, are, are, uh, the framework is already established. It's already there. So you have your youth coming up through the framework and really what these developed countries do is they set you up for, for, uh, how, how do I best say it? For debt. They set you up for debt. Yes, you have all of these freedoms and privileges and everything else, but it's all based and predicated on a system that um, you end up owing the system the way that it's set up. And <laughs> I love, I'm just being very frank and very honest with you. I love Africa. Africa, you prepay everything before you do it. You're not in debt. So there is just this better sense of freedom here. <laughs> a better sense of being able to move without struggle. I mean, the struggle, you have to earn a living, you have to work, everything else like that. But um, the systems are just so vastly different and how you operate in the systems are just so vastly different. I don't think they're comparable. I think that they both bring their, their pluses and minus. In terms of disease and, and so on and so forth, you have that everywhere. You have that everywhere. People are people. So, you know, that, that, that's, that's not going to be anything new that you deal with, you know, um, medical resources. Okay. Yes. In a developed country, there are things that you can get to quicker, you know, however, I'm, I'm of the school of natural indigenous natural medicines. So to me, everything's accessible. Anything that you can be sick from can be attained through plants, right? That's what our pharmaceutical does. They put chemicals on top of the plants, study the damn plants. We'll be surviving by the plant. That is why we still exist today in Africa. It just as unfortunately, uh, somebody have managed to educate us away from ourselves. So we are, everything is strange to us. Even our land that we are putting our, our feet on, it becomes strange. But this is the land you'll be working. Your ancestors have been working on this land. They'll be feeding on this land. This water that'll be here. It's not that Mongo Park, 
discovered River Niger. It was the one that told Nigeria that is the river. The people of Nigeria, the people who we later be called Nigeria, have been interacting with this water for hundreds of years and thousands yes. of years. Yes. So we know, we know this forest, we know this land, we know this river. We are not, we are not, we are not new to Africa. We are the Africans. Yes. Yes. All right. You made mention of uh, technology, software. Those are also very important things. You see, I believe that the younger generation are the hope of Africa, and I mean it literally, because these are the people that are beginning to understand the power of technology. But of course, not the exported technology, the technology that is being developed also in Africa in terms of, because everything is software now, no? Uh, designing tools that can help you to do your thing. Maybe not physical tool, but the algorithm, the coding, you know? So I'm very happy that a lot of Africans are beginning to understand the language. Mm -hmm. So tell me about the software you were referring to in education or educational software. That is what you refer to in. Tell me more about yeah. it. Well, what it is is basically a platform. It is a platform in order to take all of the educational software tools and bring it to one and um, basically allow the person to be able to study right, right, right there off of their telephone or off of their tablet or off of their computer, whether they're in the school or all the way at home and seeing the same thing. So, you know, to me, these types of innovations are, are key. One, that um, you could be able to um, uh, study wherever you are, no matter where you are, and then two, that um, you are getting educated, you are plugged in to understand where the rest of the world is, okay? That is, that's essential. We need to be able to understand what our counterparts are doing and we need to be able to compete. I mean, we're a world market. So bottom line is that the knowledge needs to come no matter what. Uh -huh. So yeah. yeah, thank you. The knowledge needs to come and that is the truth. This economy is called the knowledge economy. It's a knowledge-based yeah. economy, you know? So the product now, I, I think few things need to happen in Africa. And when these few things happen, the Africans will no longer need to go and take refuge in another, in another country. Because first of all, let's look at the economy, the way it is set up. Before you were referring to the New York system, now, which is of course the capital of the, of the American system and therefore the capital of the, the capitalist system. It is built upon turning people into slaves. No? They turn you into a mini slave that you need to work for the system. Nobody really cares so much about you as long as you are serving the machine. But before Industrial Revolution, it was not like that. People used to serve themselves and contribute to the society. Now, that industrialized system didn't happen in Africa. That is why you were saying before that in Africa, if you want to buy something, People don't owe you. you. You need a car. You first of all go and work to get the money, which is equivalent of the car. Then when you get the money, you go to the, the car dealer. I need this car, this color of the car. I'm taking it home today. I'm giving you your money. I'm not owing you. You are not owing me. This is freedom. We have sort of remained more like the way it has always been. You provide for yourself, for your family. Okay, we still have the government, I know. But the government really doesn't provide provide very little to the people, the way it is set up in Africa, no? 
it, it was punish the people, but maybe somehow it's going to work in the people's interest. Just to give you a clear instance, no? in the COVID-19 situation, uh, the American government and many European government, of course, they have money they give to the citizens. But in many African states, take, take for example in Nigeria, the Nigerian government didn't really give money to the Nigerian people. The people had to feed for themselves. Which means the people really can survive on their own. So, the way it was before, that the people were the masters of themselves, that is where the economy of today is turning into. If that is what eventually happened, in Africa, get just the minimum that they need, they're already far ahead. Because the other people that are coming as slaves who have been using, who have been used to machine responding, asking, they are going to have to struggle a little bit. So we don't really have to cry all the time. We still have some advantage in Africa. I believe we still have. I so, so yeah, agree with you. I agree with you. I, I agree that um, what happens is that the machine has not been shaped in Africa. So therefore you have the ability to shape it the way that you see fit. And you also have the advantages looking of the counterparts who are ahead of you and seeing their mistakes and not making the same mistakes over and over again. All right. Africa is a rich, 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 rich continent. And if we just learn to work together, we, we, we would be so unbelievable. We would be off the charts. We would be off the charts. If leadership can work together, we have everything that we need. We have everything that we need. And those dependencies outside don't need to take place. Not at all, really no. But it's a cheat because what does it mean? The United States have the power to print how many dollars he wants, no? Then he go to a country like Congo and say, give me gold. I give you the dollar I just printed in my backyard yesterday. The dollar is actually worthless. But the gold has a lot of value because you are taking it away from the land. Are you That's refilling right. the land? No, you are leaving holes on the land. In Nigeria, you are polluting the environment, taking oil, and you are giving the Nigerian government the money that you print in your backyard. If that money is worthless, but yes. you are cheating me, telling me that that money is equivalent to what you are taking from my land. We need to understand how the economy is set up. It's set up to just cheat some other persons. Because if, why not, what if maybe the Nigerian government decided, okay, let me print some Naira. Naira is the money we use in Nigeria. Let me go to America and say, okay, well, I need F-35. I need F-16. Can they bring F-16 to Nigeria so that we pay them? We, we, we decide, we tell the, the Nigerian Central Bank to print some Naira and give to them. They will not accept it. But they will come here and take oil. They give us some money they print in their backyard. It's cheating anyway. So we don't need them. As really, but they make us believe that we need them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely, I agree. I agree. All right, looking at the software, tell me, how does it work? How does it, I mean, uh, how do you make it function in terms of connectivity, in terms of getting people to, to be able to get used to it, uh, to, uh, to, I don't know, what do you really need it for maybe to read books, to assess information? things like that can you like say something more about it well that's interesting because it's a specific brand of software and um i don't know if you know it's appropriate or not but i i'm working uh uh with a company called note effect that has just done a phenomenal job of basically creating metrics within their their uh software so you can see the engagement 
of students. And so that way you can catch when the student is just um, not interested or being left behind. And so that's the beauty of this particular software uh, uh, framework that I am working with in terms of being able to uh, situate that with every student so that two things that happen here in Africa when the Ministry of Education basically tries to roll up all of their findings in a metrics, it takes years because they have no way to measure. They have no way to measure how the student is engaged, um, how productive this, the, the material is, or so on and so forth. And with this particular tool, they would be able to measure and to engage. Um, the, the system is, is beautiful because it really is broadcasted out. So, you know, it's a little bit more powerful than, than what we see on the day-to-day -to -day tools that are, are, are used to, today because of its broadcast system. And I don't want to get real deep into the technicality of it. But really what this does is it measures. It measures. So think about that. If you had a tool, right, and the measurements and the metrics came out the next day, and you wanted to compare state to state, country to country, and you had the information accessible to you in reports the next day because it's real time versus taking two years to glean the information, to figure out if it's measurable, you know, and to, to try to roll all of that up so that you can go on with your plan. And something that takes one to two to three years in your 10-year plan can be done in a day, how quickly are you able to adjust? It changes the game. It's Absolutely. a game changer. Absolutely. So Absolutely. that's what I'm working with. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, engage so that, yeah, that can, be, that can be taken care of. In most of the cases, what usually happen in Africa, of course, looking at the, the, the political structure is that Say maybe for example they build a railway in, in Nigeria instead of maybe uh, uh, making sure that the, the, the infrastructure that developed the building the construction be done in Nigeria or at least send some Nigeria abroad to learn it um, because when I give you a tool you don't have the possibility of repairing it of modernizing it of adjusting it according to your necessity anytime you need to do any of those minor work you will need, always need to call me that means I'm always charging you all the time. That That's means right. I can even take it, I can even switch it off because you don't have the, the possibility of doing that. But if we do a custom made, say um, the people know how to do it the way they want it, then they can always adjust it according to their taste. So looking at the fourth industrial revolution, the AI technology and all of that, uh, the conversation among many Africans, the conscious ones, is that uh, we, we have to make sure that the, the AI or the development of our infrastructure, talking of uh, technology in this case, reflects the need of the people, reflect the, the real yes. need of the people. So what do you say about that? I, I think that what I'm representing reflects the real need for the people because it is not about um, uh, uh, content it's the framework that holds the content so that you can see the interactive um, um, so that you can understand the interactive uh, piece of how the content's being engaged so to me 
Um, when I look at like places like, for example, Namibia, who has a educational um, layout over the next 10 years up till 2030 on revamping their whole educational system. And um, part of those milestones that they have to engage is how to roll up those metrics. Well, then this is key, you know, and my, matter of fact, I'm sure that they've allowed for a couple of years for those metrics to be rolled up and here as a tool that would just speed that up for them as a country, you know, so to me, it's, it's, it's key that we look at how it helps us overall in the system by which we, we are, are headed in terms of that direction. Thank you so much for that. I, I remember I was going through uh, your profile. I caught my eye caught across something like social entrepreneur. I said I was going to ask you something about it. Can you say anything in that line? Because social entrepreneur means that I want to help the people. You know, what I'm doing in entrepreneurialism um, so that it engages and it assists and it lifts the people up. It's not just being an entrepreneur to just, you know, what can I get? What can I glean? What can I take? But it's, you know, the education means something to me. You know, the children mean something to me in the end in education, you know, and that because our children are the next generation, you know, being um, able to assist that's going to not just lift the children and the people up, but lift the country up too means something to me. So I say social entrepreneur because I want to make a positive impact in what my endeavors are. All right. Now let's uh, retouch back again. Well, with the, the area that we were talking about before, about your journey, your uh, self rediscovery, and the happiness that you find today being in Africa, in your motherland. Um, since you'll be here, have you had the time to maybe talk to some friends? You know, we usually live in circles. You no, know? uh, where you were living in New York, there are some people around you. You have friends, you have loved one people with whom you share. You no. Know? And who in this case might be African-American who have never been to Africa. Have you had time to share with them, to tell them about your experience? And maybe they will also tell you your own sort of gauge. What is the, what is the feeling about that? Well, it's interesting because um, when I came to Africa and I, you know, like before living in Angola, I visited Angola seven or eight times and yes, engaged with uh, people who now I call my family. I was fortunate enough to be inducted and um, go through initiations of the Ovambundu um, people and uh, actually had to go through the iterations of, of, of what it would take to be the proper Mundu uh, woman. So yes, I, I've had the great fortune of really like submerging into that and that's my family, you know. Um, when I was in South Africa, I had the great fortune of studying with the Sangomas for a bit. And um, again, just out of respect and understanding and traditions and understanding, you know, what is expected and, 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 and knowledge and wisdom of, of, of the, the knowledge that's passed down from generation to generation to generation. And again, with great respect for the traditions, with deep respect for the traditions. Um, spent a little bit of time with the Himba in, in Namibia also. So all of these cultures, all of these cultures bring such richness to bear. And wherever I go, I, I feel like I have family.
I have family based on that relationship. And we also have fulfillment. That is the most important part of it that I've taken away from it. <laughs> All right. And now, because uh, you find peace, you find, um, you find fulfillment, which is actually the essence of life. You know? Because if you are just uh, living in a big city now you have all the money and you are not fulfilled inside of you uh, where that is not a good life as it were no because mm. what is what is the essence of what you could ask where well, uh, you take a gun and begin to take money from all the bank because you can you can grab it yeah so well, i have, I have yeah. to say that angola holds a special place in my heart because when visiting angola um we did not just come to the city so i've been in places in angola calakimbe was the most remote, remote place that I've been in Angola, where I was the first Westerner ever seen by the people. I was the only Westerner they've ever seen. And, you know, it warmed my heart because they shared with me and they showed me um, where one of the pastors from, I don't know, a hundred years earlier had stated that a Westerner would come and that that Westerner would eventually bring and, and, and introduce other people and that um, they would help. And so in a sense, me being that first Westerner was a prophecy that they had that was now fulfilled. And I, I stay in touch with those elders. And um, th this is huge. This is significant, you know? So that social entrepreneur piece of it is really, really, you know, important to me in my heart because I have the opportunity to go back and help people who've never seen a Westerner on their first impression. All right. Now, take us to, to, to those people, this group of elders that, that you meet. How do you feel in the presence of them? Do you see them like uh, you are in the midst of stranger or you are in the midst of... Tell me the company, like when you are there, what goes on in your head? Well... Help me understand that. Well, see, that's the whole thing is that if you look at my whole life, what I've done is I've met tribes all over the world. And when I say I submerge with them, I basically, um, you know, introduce myself and then I'm quiet and then I learn and I smile and my energy is one of openness. I do not come in there saying, I know this about you. I know that about you. I know the other. I in essence, stay so that I can learn and, and let them fill my cup. And then when they invite me to speak and they invite me to, to participate, I do. So, you know, that is one of the key things that really, I don't, you know, maybe it's God's gift to me. I'm not quite sure, but that is what happens is I engage and I meet people and I smile and I'm in, you know, hello. And there's this energy and they see me, they see me, they see something in me that says, come, come sit with me, you know? Um, and, and I sit and I listen and I listen to the stories and I, um, I, and the smiles on my face and I eat, and I, hear, I don't care if it's in the most humblest of means or the wealthiest of means. And, you know, I engage and, and I listen. I listen. And listening and having that smile on your face and, and they, can, they can feel and see the open heart. 
and then they welcome that and that in turn welcomes me. And so that's what it is. So it's not a matter of what's going through my head because all the way back to that first grandmother elder, that's where I had a comfort level at. The indigenous sitting, listening, understanding, learning. And then coming back to that modern world where the people are, are not engaged with that and sharing and helping them to see a different way. And so maybe that's who I am at the core of my being. I'm uh, this collective of all of these cultures such that that's what I do. Now, this uh, collective experience, I want to uh, call it um, conscious existence as it were, is it the way you see everybody um, living in Angola or is it because you are in a certain group of people, you are in a certain cycle, and these are the people, these are the way these pe the people in this cycle um, live and express with you? It is the fact that these are a group of people and this is how they sit in circle. And the people in Angola sit in circle the same way that the people of the Amazon do. The people of the Amazon sit in circle the same way that the Wyatahas in New Zealand do. Um, the Wyatahas sit in circle the same way the Sangomas do in South Africa. We all sit in circle and what it is is a mutual respect. It is a mutual respect of listening to what your fellow man has to say. And um, understanding that, you know, each person can bring what they want, um, their own authentic voice to that circle, but they do listen and then each person makes up their own mind. I understand that and that the elders play a role and that the elders are respected in that role. They are respected in that role and what they have to say holds weight and everyone listens. So there is this different dynamic and it's different. You know, you can talk about the pluses and you can talk about the minuses, but that difference in how that view of life is looked at, what's important to them is different than what's important to us. And, and that which we don't value in the, in the, in the cities, you know, is what we're, we need. We're, we're craving that we need that. We don't understand that that's part of why we have sickness and illness because we don't cherish and understand the, the value of nature enough that we, you know, in the cities, we put our elders in, in homes because we don't have time for them versus the fact that that elder is always there and can share their experience and their knowledge. And then you can take that information, glean what's most important and then make your decision. So there's, 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 how, how do you explain that delicate balance? How do you explain that when I'm sitting with a tribe, and I'm listening and I'm engaging and I'm learning the, you know, there's negatives and there's positives and I'm trying to glean the, the most positive aspects of those things that that has value and can be beautifully introduced into other areas to show its value where people need it the most. I think this was um, in April of uh... Two years ago, yeah, it was in April of two years ago at the heart of uh, the pandemic. Um, then I was in the hospital actually, uh, not for COVID. I was having some issues, so I was uh, recovered in the hospital. Um, so at a point, of course, I had my computer with me. I was fully functional, but I was having some, some medical issue. So I took down my computer. That was actually when I started this podcasting, as it were. I just started using uh, Zoom. I was doing interview, talking to people from different parts of the world. 
Canada, US, UK, uh, Nigeria, many parts of Africa, but of course in English and language in most of the cases. That is why I made mention of this country because of course I couldn't speak French, so I didn't speak to people that are speaking <laughs> French. And of course the people were mainly Africans. And my question were very simple. I will try to understand what they were feeling in this period of the lockdown, no? And I learned a lot of things uh, talking to people in this, this period. So one of the things that I learned is this deep human desire to connect. That it is so important that we connect, especially now. Imagine uh, people, uh, somebody that are, say maybe in your age, since you were born, till this your age, it had never happened that a, an economy was shut down. You have to remain inside. It's not even the remaining inside that really matter. It is, it is, we might see that it, it, it appears simple to just open your door, you go out, then you come in, and it, it, because it's a routine. You don't even understand anymore that it's a routine because you, it's so used to you. But now, you are going to remain indoor. Eat, you go to the toilet, you sleep, just in a small space. It changes the dynamics in our head. So, I was interested. What do you feel now? I talk to artists, to successful people, to non-successful people. To... So, I'm going to ask you again too, because you have undergone a journey, a very important one. It's a spiritual journey, no? Mm -hmm. What do you say about this desire to connect among us human beings? Um, it's absolutely essential. Um, to not connect is to not live. That's, that's, that's just, it, it was absurd to be locked down like that. And it's wrong. It's just absolutely wrong. And I'm going to say it like this. We already know in orphanages, it's been proven that each one of those children that are born and um, if they don't have the opportunity to be held, if they don't have the opportunity to be feeling of love or connection to another human being, they grow up so dysfunctional and they, they grow up with that need of longing and, lo and, 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 and what's the word I want to use? Because it's, it's actually been proven that, that, you know, uh, that disconnect, that disconnect, just, they just get in trouble after trouble after trouble because they have no ability to create relationship. We are predicated and based on relationship. That love that is needed, that's, that's what, that gives us connection. That's what gives us peace, calm, ability to engage, focus, all of it. All of it is from being held. From the moment that we're born, we're, we're, we're connected. We are connected to our mothers and we're held by our mothers. You know, it's always interesting that I, I feel that Africans are so much more connected because the way that the mother wraps them right to the back and holds them while they're working and they're doing all of their things, that child is still feeling that connection with the mom at all times. We need connection. We need to engage. We need to speak. That's part of our harmony. That's part of the rhythm by which we operate. That's part of our flow. And when that energy doesn't flow, we get discord. That's why they said during the pandemic also, um, abuse went up tenfold. It went up tenfold. They're not getting that, that earthly connection. 
and they're not getting that human connection that allows you to dissipate that anxiety that allows you to dissipate and release you know that 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 pent up energy that that needs to that needs to go and that happens by interaction it happens by interaction different people bring out different things within each of us and so if you are not engaging that 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 different relationship for those different things that are brought out of you then what happens is you harbor that and then you explode you explode we need interaction there's there's just no hands down questions about that we, all right we need uh, thank you so much so i'm going to drag that argument into our demography the african diaspora of course which you are part of you now be an african-american so the reason this podcast exists is also for this the need for us to connect let's talk let's talk about us yes how do you look at the connection that exists between or let's say among african diaspora by this i'm referring to all the african diaspora because you remember when Marcos Gave was on his movement, he was yes. not really discriminating against, okay, maybe the people in the United States or maybe the people in UK or only those in Canada. It was global. Since that time, we never have really seen any person that have organized African people like that. Mm -hmm. It is the connection. So how do you see... Because you grew up in New York, I repeat again, New York is very important for the African people in the diaspora. So how do you see the connection, the kind of connection that exists today among the African people? Hmm. How do I see that? So it's interesting because traversing the continents, the African people don't see the value that they have, that the, they have so much richness here and with the land and, and with the minerals and with the resources and everything else, it's, it's always seems strange to me. And, and maybe this is a strange way to look at it, but it always seems like they're looking at what the other person has more. The developed countries have this, the developed countries have that. So I want this, I want that, like the developed countries versus just creating your own, you know? We look to the other side and the other side looks to us. Uh, you know, it's interesting as an African American here in Africa, and when I talk to the African people and I talk about how important it is to feel and be at home and how regarded I feel among my people, how, how beautiful they are, how great it is to see them in their traditional clothing and everything else like that. And they're like, what, really? what are you kidding me and then they're looking over in the americas like we want to look like that and the americas when the panda the the uh, um the black panther movie came out i wore my fiance and i wore traditional clothing to that right and i mean we were dressed in traditional clothing I'm from, you know i visit africa i have really beautiful traditional clothing and there was such a sense of pride, a sense of pride from all of the African-American people walking around in their African clothing saying, I have heritage, I have lineage, I belong somewhere. And I have a love for this. 
and we were applauded out of the movie theater and i was like wow what is this about what it is is it's like that heart story that i told you about that longing story within us somewhere if we honor it because i honored mine the need and a sense of belonging because as we were taken and as we were pulled apart from our families and then you know then pulled apart again from our families it was that isolation it was like a pandemic it was except it was called slavery right and so they really annihilated all means of connection that connection and that's why you know we see us so angry angry in the u.s angry where do we belong where do we go to i feel displaced all the way around you know and you know marcus garvey he he, he was right it was like like that grandmother told me you need to go home you need to go home you need to see people who look like you that has the same beauty as you has the same shape as you has the same you know everything as you when you look you see you you need to go home you need to understand that that motherland is different than 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 the developed land and that there's something inherent in the energy here you need to see you and i think that everybody everybody should be able to go back to their place of beginnings their origins and that's where we are that's where we started from and then in experiencing that take it from there take it from there what is planted within you but it's funny so so i'm here in africa and i know that uh, a lot of africans watch a lot of the brazilian soap operas so the african you know they they mimic a lot of the brazilian soap operas and soap so they're striving to be like that the brazilians are looking at the developed countries right and they're striving to be like that and then the americans are looking over here in africa they're striving to be like that nobody's happy with who they are <laughs> you know why can't we be just happy with who we are you know who we are, where we belong. And, and it's not where we belong, I need to be separate. It's where we belong to understand and have a sense of home and what home felt like. To always know that, you know, you know, it's like tracing back to where you were, where your birthplace was. If you were born somewhere, but you've moved away, moved away, moved away. And then seeing that birthplace and understanding that culture all around it and saying, okay, this is where I started. This is where home was. And I can always come back. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. You must know your home. It's very, very important. All right. Now let's spend some some, some time on your on your coaching. So okay. reactivation coaching. I think that's what you call it. Please tell us what do you mean by that? Soul activation coaching is basically this. Okay. When we really want to get down to it, we all operate in a bubble. And in that bubble is where we're comfortable operating at, right? And then when we go beyond that bubble or that limited boundary that we've set for ourselves, we're uncomfortable, right? Oh, this isn't my comfort level. I'll give it a try. But, you know, it's like me. My soul was longing for something. It wanted to study, study indigenous studies. And, you know, my limited self said, oh, but how am I going to do this? I don't have the money for this. I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't do what I can't do was resonating in my heart versus what I'm capable of doing. It's learning how to honor that soul's calling. Honor your soul's calling. If you get up every morning 
and all you want to do is sing and all you do is sing day and night and when you engage with people you want to sing with them and when you, you engage in activities you want to share your song then you're supposed to be a singer and what do we do we go up oh, that's not going to pay the bill so what i have to do is i have to do this and what happens is that we stopped listening to what our soul calls and we no longer navigate based on what's in our hearts and our souls. We navigate with what we are being told to do, what we are being conditioned to do. And so when I talked about soul activation, it's basically saying if I stripped off all of the roles that I play, I'm nobody's daughter, I'm nobody's mother, I'm nobody's employee, I'm nobody's contractor, I'm nobody's anything. And I take all of those roles off. And I'm down to the pure essence of who I am. Who am I? What does my soul and my heart long for? Why aren't I honoring and following this? Why aren't I listening? What am I afraid of? And we get good at this. We get good at building and saying, you know, this role defines me, so I have to do this. This role defines me, I have to do that. But the bottom line is that if you are this beautiful, heartfelt energy being at the core of your being, whatever you vibrate, resonate from the core of your being, as you put on those roles, will come through those roles. But honor who you are at the at the core of your being first. To me, that's soul activation. That's honoring the soul. That's understanding, belonging, and the calling of the soul. Listening. Listening. And then when you honor that, then you're honoring the path of alignment. And when you're honoring the path of alignment, what happens is that if you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be, that your whole body vibrates, that your whole being vibrates, then all of the things that we're looking for, like abundance and everything else, is a byproduct of it because you're doing exactly what it is that you're supposed to be doing. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I feel good doing it not obligated, not resentful because my whole life has been taken to a place where this is what I have to do because I have dependencies. This is what I have to do because this is what my parents expect. This is what I have to do because this is what my partner expects, so on and so forth, so on and so forth. There's an honoring and there's a love of what you do and that transcends it even feeling like work. Does that make sense? Of course, if it doesn't make sense, nothing else does. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I'm sure not only to me, even to the people that are listening to us too. Yeah. All right. Now, who are you the target of your coaching? Who do you target? Who are you coaching? Okay, so I coach from one spectrum to the other actually so I've I coach and work with professionals entrepreneurs 
uh, global influencers, C CEOs. I, I coach and I work with them because there are aspects within that they want to resolve. And in that resolve, they're able to better seek the vision, create the new, and um, basically look at a different viewpoint by which they're working. And it brings in more balance and peace in their life as they are able to do so. I am there for the person who's awakened but doesn't quite know exactly what to do. They don't know how to transition. How many people are stuck in corporate right now and really don't want to be in corporate? They really want to transition to be an entrepreneur, to be their own boss, to be able to have different facets by which they work, but they just don't know how to make that transition. I'm there to help them with that transition, that transition back into life. I'm also there for the people who basically are in those relationships and they find themselves, the relationship is dissolved and they feel lost. And it's like all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm by myself and I'm not quite sure what I have to do. I know what I have to do to survive, but how to transition survival mode and really step into your authenticity and your power and knowing what it is that you want shaping that vision and then going after that vision because once you have that clear vision in your life then life becomes a walk to that vision uh you may mention of the the word lost i think to two or three times if i'm not miscalculating it all right now let's take a step back on that how did we get lost is it through our education is it true is it because of our experiences is it because of our ignorance? How did we get lost that now we need to retrace ourselves back again? So a lot of times what will happen is that trauma enters into our life, oppression enters into our life. Um, we think we're going a certain direction and then it's intervened by external sources. Um, we could just take up uh, those scenarios and we look for the answers outside of ourselves, right? So I have the saying, dream a beautiful dream or you will be dreamt, which is that being dreamt means that if you don't look inside and honor what it is that you want to bring to the table that you have or you feel for yourself in the direction that you want to go, you will spend your whole life being dreamt, which is my mother expects this, my father expects that, um, so-and-so judged me, so I have to do this. So-and-so said that I should really look, look at it this way. And you're running around fulfilling what other people's perceptions are of you. And as you're running around achieving other people's perceptions of you, who are you? Where, where, where is you in the midst of all of that? And then, by the way, those perceptions are ideas. And so, in fulfilling those perceptions, you never truly fulfill them because you never measure up. They're a perception, they're an idea, they're not solid, versus you knowing what it is that you want. I wanted to do global empowerment. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to, and people said, you're crazy. You're leaving what to do what? Oh, you're gonna fail. You're gonna this, you're gonna that. The projections were already there telling me what I could and could not do. Now, if I sought people's advice outside, I'd still be back where I was. 
10, 15, 20 years later because the idea of me fulfilling everybody else's thought of me versus fulfilling what's in my own heart would have outweighed. And then what will I have done? I, I would have been dreamt. I would have been fulfilling what everybody else expected of me and never really dealing with the calling and the longing that was in my heart that was saying, please do this, please do this. No, I have to do this because of, because of, because of, I'm going to hurt somebody else's perception of me and they'll think little of me and I can't do that. We weren't brought here to run around and fulfill what everybody else <laughs> thinks of us. We weren't. And you know, and I know I'm going against culture with this and tradition with this, but we were not. Do you think a Marcus Garvey would, would ran around going, well, I don't want to do that because, you know, um, people might think poor of me, you know, any of our great leaders that stood out, they knew from inside out what was to be from that divine source asking within and saying, I will navigate understanding that from within me is a greatness is a divine spirit that comes through. And that's going to navigate me through this. And that when I need assistance at, you know, reassurance, um, questions that that's where I go because everybody else's experience is based on their own conditions. And so you might say to me, Oh, I wouldn't go there because you, you had a fearful time there. You might've had a fearful time visiting Africa. Oh, I wouldn't go there. I'd be afraid to, and you going by yourself as a woman. Oh my God. No, you, something could happen to you. Blah, blah, blah. Have you ever watched what they did on show on television? Have you ever seen blah, 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 blah. No, I wouldn't do that if I were you. If I had listened to those people and there were many of those people in my life, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have fulfilled my dream. We have to follow. That's why they say, follow your heart. Your heart has a longing. Your heart always wants to surpass where the ego feels comfortable. Your heart always wants to go beyond that boundary. That's why we call it growing. That's why we call growing up and growing out and expanding and, 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 and basically learning more and more and more about what our capabilities, our loves and our interests are, we grow. What do we grow past? We grow past our own limiting beliefs, our own limiting boundaries. We grow and it's the heart's desire that helps us to grow past those boundaries and those beliefs and those limits. Thank you so much for that. All right. Do you want to say anything about this process of soul activation? How do you activate yourself? Mm. So there are so many different tools that we've been given and so many different things that, that, that we have that we don't even engage. And you don't have to go outside of yourself if you understand the, the fact that you are worthy the power of your voice, you understand where your fearful limitations and your self limitations are so that you can go beyond them. If you can acknowledge that you give away your power when judgment takes place and that you can start reflecting back those people's judgments. If you can understand the fact that forgiveness is freedom and it is a powerful tool of freedom, 
Because when you forgive, you're no longer looking through the eyes of, of trauma and, and that taintedness of, you know, oh, everything's going to be like this because this happened. No, I forgive myself in this situation. I forgive the other person, not because maybe that person even deserves forgiving, but because it releases me from seeing in a narrow view that only trauma will take place. So when you look at all of those things that you possess, and then the fact that you can embrace this, these are things that you can work with yourself, this is what activates the soul. The soul says, oh, so you get it. You get it. So that when you sit back and you understand that, you know, this happened to me, but I forgive them, I forgive myself in it, and I'm going to move past this story. I'm going to move past this story, and I'm going to be the best version of me that I am. You've honored the soul. You've honored right. the soul. Perfect. Now, people want to find you online. Usually in this moment, we give our guests a little time to advertise themselves what you are doing. I understand that you have courses out there. Maybe you have a book or something that people can buy um, to promote you. you know? So spend this time to tell people how to reach you, how to connect with you, what you do. Please go. Yes, yes, yes. So I can be reached at www.enolia, my name, enolia.live, L-I-V-E. And um, at this time, I am, I'm a new author. I have a book out called Enolia, my name, Enolia, How I Found My Sovereign Voice with My Grandmother Elder. I also have um, the uh, comparable workbook with it. And the workbook is basically um, finding your sovereign self journal and basically what it does is that it it looks at enolia how i found my voice with my grandmother elder and it summarizes each one of the chapters the journal does and it shows you the lessons learned in my life and then it asks you questions to self-reflect so let my stories be assistance for you finding a way through your life so that's my book and then after you finish my book, if you want to go deeper, I have a master class that's available on my website. And that master class takes you through seven levels or 12 weeks and basically allows you to go deep. It comes comparable with um, weekly assignments and um, self-reflection. And you will get to meet with me once a week um, to answer any questions that you may have. And it also has a Facebook group. And that... Masterclass is called Empower, Achieve, and Succeed through Self-Mastery. I also hold um, different courses, one-hour courses, and then I um, hold retreats also in terms of working with me directly, and you can work with me as a coach. So all of these things are there, and um, my website is rich with free meditations. And um, if you want to hear uh, works that I've, I've done, they're there. And uh, I also do a podcast. I actually do two podcasts. I do BE Empowered with myself and Bukeka Blakemore. And I also do the Wellness Mindset with myself and Danika Carruthers. So there's a plethora of, of material there to work with within the work that I do, as well as the fact that I can be found on Facebook under Enolia um, and Enolia Foti, which is my last name. 
You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. So I'm there. Thank you so much, dear Inolia. This is really beautiful. It's really very rich. All right, now, what would you recommend? Maybe two or three strategies for somebody who might be in New York like you, or in some other part of the world, another African-American, even another person just out there who want to find his or herself, who want to do this journey like you and become successful. Three or two recommendations. Please go. So I would say hold a vision for yourself. Hold the vision and stay true to that vision. If that's what you want to do, you really, really have to hold it. You know, it's like, um, it's like being a millionaire. You have to have the millionaire mindset so that life becomes a walk to being that millionaire. Okay. So hold the vision and know that you are already successful, that it already happened. And then life becomes a walk to it. And if you need assistance, then find somebody like myself to work with you. Let go of the trauma. Let go of the things that would get in your way from you fulfilling that dream that you have and how you see yourself. Because to think it, become it, then you will be it. That's powerful. That's really powerful. Uh, now, is there another thing you would like to add to the conversation? Maybe a message or any way you want to conclude it in your own part? Maybe something you wanted to say, I didn't ask you? You know, it's funny because I love doing these interviews. And why do I do these interviews? I do these interviews because we are here. The teachers are ready. You know, we're here and we are waiting for the students to be ready. So the bottom line is that if you've been longing to work with someone and work within your heart to allow something new and different to come into your life, then allow it. Take the steps. Now is the time. A lot of people are switching from the standard nine to five to be entrepreneurs, but not quite sure how to be an entrepreneur. You can't be an entrepreneur with a, a, a soft foundation. It's like building a house on sand. You got to make that foundation strong and solid so that you have something to build on. That's why you, you find people like myself working with you so that you can make that foundation strong so that you can be everything that you want to be. So why is it different from me than outside of anyone else? It's because I, because I know business, you know, I majored in business for my MBA, but also because I know indigenous ways and I understand energy and energy is a fundamental part of our well-being, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. We keep hearing it under the auspices of spirituality and open your heart and meditate and things like that. Well, if you want to understand what that means, then engage in understanding and working with someone like myself. And then what happens is that you get the whole package, you get the business, you get the, the coaching, you get the entrepreneurial piece and, and the work in terms of understanding what it is that you bring to the table. And it's not just about saying, oh, I am valuable, but it's about understanding how to draw from the, the powerful being that you are to co-create and to create what it is you want your life to be. Dear Inolia, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much, baby. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate our review overhead podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain overhead everyone for.
Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you in the next episode.